0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Pro Ho. I'm your host and founder, Penda Jai. And today we are joined by the incomparable Tracy Gilbert. And she is full of so much wisdom. And I'm so overjoyed to have her on the show this week to talk about all things sex, of course, and to really dive into... Just why our Blackness is beautiful, is sexy, and why it's so important to hone in on our pleasure and use it as a means of resistance, especially during this time, now more than ever. So welcome, Tracy. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Hello. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm super excited for this conversation.
0: Yes, me too. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and let everyone know who you are, what you do, and just all of the, you know, all of the good things?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Sure. No problem. Um, So again, my name is Tracy Gilbert. I use she, they pronouns. I am um, a sex educator and a researcher, and a program manager, and an educational consultant, Um, and all of that is related to sexuality. Um, I have a particular interest um, in looking at sexuality through the lens of race, and specifically as it pertains to the lived experience of sexuality among African people in the United States. Um, I am a native of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and so I am uh, a descendant of uh, folks involved in the. The transatlantic slave trader who were victims of that um i am um let's see <laughs> let's, what, what can i say i'm an she auntie. does it all <laughs> right, right. I, I, I do well and I, I don't do everything because sexuality is so big but um i'm definitely a person who um is identifies as an educator who's very passionate um about talking about uh sexiness and sexuality in African American communities and thinking about how that history has affected, um, our lived experiences and how we can, um, show up to our sexualities in light of that history. So, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other things that come up, but, um, you know, I'll just leave it there for now.
0: Yes, that's so beautiful. I love specifically what you were talking about as it pertains to race, because I think as Black people, that is so important, especially you talking about the transatlantic slavery movement um, and a lot of African-American people who don't even know where their families come from, where their ancestry is. So to even think about tapping into how our ancestral trauma has affected us when uh, the majority of us don't even know what our ancestry is, I think that that's a really, you know, just... Important conversation that more of us need to have. And when you said you were focusing more on Africa, have you, you know, are you someone who's done the DNA test? Are you into that? Have you kind of dug into your genealogy? Is that something that you, um, <laughs> that you're interested in?
1: Yeah. So um, I so I did it personally. Right. So and and I guess to directly answer your question, it's kind of yes and no. I mean, I think obviously as someone who, you know, is a product of this experiment, I think I am interested in kind of trying to understand where I come from and who my people might be. You know, I think African-Americans in particular, we as part of our colloquial culture we're always asking you know where your people from uh so you know I think that's something that uh I know I have an interest in such that I did do the DNA test just to find out because I I don't think I ever had a question about how black I was but it was like well how much black is in there (laughs) so um you know I did the test and it was like yeah you're like uh what did I think it said like 82 percent (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, was like girl, you you black, black. Ain't no other uh, percentages. You you yes. You negroid. And so um I did it for that. Uh but at the same time, I think if you'd have asked me that question, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I probably would have had much more of a stronger interest in looking at the continent uh, per se. Um, And where I still think that's true. I think I've much more grown, much more comfortable and accepting and thinking critically about what does it mean to be African in terms of African Americanity? Because Mm -hmm. I do think um, that is something that, uh, for lots of different reasons that I'm sure we may get into in this conversation that can be a challenge for black Americans to do, to do the work of sitting with wh- who we are here, right? Not trying to link it back to, you know, some idea of, oh, kings and queens and recognizing like, no, we have strong people here just because of what we went through doesn't mean that there that we're any any less like we have no shame that we need to hold based on what what happened to us. It's not it's not like we enslaved ourselves. This happened to us. And so there's nothing that we need to be ashamed of because we didn't create this. So I think that has allowed me to really, really start to think about what are the pieces of um, this Historical experience here on this continent that have really kind of shaped uh, not just sexiness and sexuality, but also sexual identity for myself and folks who come from my same experience, because I do think there are some pieces there that are uh, unique and useful and important to think about.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I can relate a little bit to both sides. My father being a Senegalese Muslim immigrant, my mother being African-American, her family hailing from Montgomery, Alabama. So, and really having these kind of two dual um, identities in terms of whenever I go home to visit my dad's family in Senegal, it's very different conversation around womanhood, around sexuality. I really can't venture too far outside of my family's compound. Once it becomes dark, I'm not really allowed outside. My cousins, they get yelled at if we if they try to show me around the city without my uncle's permissions. So, you know, then you have that coupled with my mom um, coming from the South, where a lot of times, you know, you see tropes. Personified through um, like baby daddies and, um, you know, those uncles that you're like, oh, you better cover up or don't go around these boys or these uncles or these family members. So like there's an element of shame around sexuality that's coming more so from my African-American heritage and my mother and I think just overall like protection over Black women's bodies, right? And then I have this other like element of shame and... um like preser- like preservation um, yes. coming from my father's African side and emphasis yeah. on virginity and on cleanliness Purity, and on yes. like value, yeah. you
1: know? And you, and you know, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, it's funny. I'm like I appreciate you for being who you are. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you bringing it up because I, I do, I want to be careful to uh, not to pretend as if they're like drastically different, right? That the experience of a Black American is drastically different from the experience of a, you know, African person from the continent or African person in the Caribbean. I do think there's still a lot of cultural similarities, um, particularly in terms of how we were. We've responded to this um, this experience called colonialism that does that do affect. Like that are very similar, right? So, like everything you just said, even though it looks very different, this idea of oh, we must protect the chastity of of our women, and we must, you know, monitor the ways in which their bodies uh, are treated. You know, there's this kind of hyper piece there, even while there's a simultaneous hypersexualization that also happens uh, from the outside world, and then internally, what we've internalized, uh, in particularly about Black femmes. So, uh, I do think there's, even though there are some nuanced differences that I think um, make it so that we shouldn't keep the distinctions there, I'd, I don't want to be so drastic about those to not acknowledge that there are some similarities still worth paying attention to.
0: Yes, most definitely. And, you know, they are continued <laughs> to be amplified um, for a lot of us here who are African immigrants or who like just have a Black American experience. Like you said, I think a lot of them, they overlap and and to be honest, all of them are deriving from well, not all of them, but I, well, I want to know your opinion. A lot of these stereotypes are derived from slavery. So you have to admit that they are connected in some way because they have been passed down from just the commodification of our bodies. Um, so this all was happening to our ancestors. So it makes sense that it still is lingering with us today.
1: Absolutely. And I would say, I, and, and I think, again, I think that's where the parallels come because I think it's slavery and colonialism, right? Mm-hmm. Like we recognize that, that white sexuality was created on the backs of the so-called savage. Right, this idea of what it means to be sexually pure and improper was the idea uh, and proper. Excuse me, was built on the backs of those quote-unquote savage Africans and those savage uh, indigenous folks here, and the idea of not trying to be whatever they perceived us to be. So even though it looks different, it's still the same dynamic. For us, it just ha- here in the U.S. it happens to be slavery, but there it absolutely you know it's colonialism and then the overtaking there of um, re- you know British well. European uh, powers through religious, uh, through religion and through other practices that perpetuated those ideas on both ends. So I think we've all, basically we're all catching hail all the way around. I'm sorry, I'm not <laughs> sure if we can
0: curse on here, but
1: I yes. curse. Yeah, so I curse, coming. you good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, for real. Like that really resonated with me. It's like they are, their sexuality is built on our backs and their labels of us being deviant and wild and aggressive and savages. That was really just for them to differentiate and to create a, a larger gap between the races. But it's not, it's not based on any truth. <laughs>
1: Right. Particularly when you think the simultaneous piece was advancing this idea, uh, thinking about what you what, what we talked about earlier is this idea of whiteness is rightness. So white yes. sexuality is, you know, ideal and it's it's perfect. And like some of the exact language that was used researchers back in the day was it's sanguine and it's gentle. And it's like, OK, so when we think about white people, period, let alone sexuality, gentle and sanguine are not the exact words <laughs> that we probably would want to bring to mind right and and I think it, it was this delusion um Sonia Renee Taylor talks about this shouts out to Sonia Renee Taylor talks about this idea of like a white supremacist delusion of you know whiteness being rightness and I think in sexuality it's the idea of white sexuality being you know pure and ideal and perfect and all of these things that just uh, that in many ways one aren't right tr- like, aren't true and two don't uh fully account for the richness of um what our sexuality is on the other hand like all the ways that blackness and sex sexiness and sexuality really really go together in really um fruitful juicy edifying ways
0: Yes, absolutely. And I want to talk more about the blackness is sexy as opposed to the whiteness is rightness, because it also kind of rang a bell in my head about when my mother, you know, she gave me sex advice, you know, pretty late in life. And we've had these discussions, but she said, you know, when you when you approach dating and sex, think like a white girl. And I was like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean about that? She's like, no, it just means Go about your sexual endeavors and your relationships with ease, with whimsy, you know, be vulnerable, be intimate, know that you are desired, know that your body is valuable, that your sex is valid, your desires are valid, because we just haven't really had that luxury to step into experiences feeling like, for me, particularly as a dark skinned woman, I was always getting, you're pretty for a dark skinned girl, or, you know, you're not my typical type, these kind of, uh, you know, statements that really I'm still unlearning as a 31-year-old woman now. I'm still just like, I know my skin is beautiful, but am I? And and those type of questions are still things that I'm, you know, working through in terms of being intimate with people and vulnerable. But she was really just saying, go forward with fervor, with joy, knowing that your sexuality, it can be, it can be um strong and, you know, but it also can be soft because that's how white women have been like, that's how they've been displayed in terms of the media and in their bodies. But in reality, as we all know, that's not, I know, I know a few white women who are not so supple, but they, but they're afforded that narrative.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think the bigger piece to me that I heard, and and I don't want to put words in your mama's mouth, but being that (laughs) I've heard the same thing and Uh um, I've, I've experienced the same thing in my own journey. I think the the piece underneath that too is access your freedom. Right. Yes. I don't know if you had this experience, but growing up as a black girl, uh, one of the things that I received or what I just kind of intuited as a message is that sex was for grown folks. Right, mm. so this idea, right? I never, I never uh, grew up p- believing that sex was a bad thing, right? You know, like I, I grew up listening to R and B music, so there's no way I could have ever grown up thinking that that was bad because I had all of this music, just telling me how <laughs> amazing and juicy and sexy that it was. But what was also very clear to me was that it was, it was for grown people, right? It was for this idea where you got your shit together and you got your house and you got your, you know, you got, you have all the things that would keep it from being the ways that society has coded as it being a negative thing, meaning that, oh, you're going to have a baby and your life is over. Oh, you're going to catch HIV and your life is, over. you know, all of these doom and gloom messages that we've told young people. And so what I what I've always heard and, and, you know, I think this is debatable, but I think what I've always heard through the idea of like, do it like a white girl is Embrace your freedom and embrace being grown, you know, have your whole phase because you're entitled to at this point, you know? And so I think, um, that to me is the, the real question and the real challenge. When we think about what is it that black people are under when they, when it comes to being able or not being able to access their sexuality, it's that how in touch are they with their, their sexual freedom?
0: Yes, exactly, and I, that part about uh, it being grown. I think about the times when I was like sneaking late night watching Soul Food and like the sex scenes, and you know all of these things that seemed like For forbidden me, fruit.
1: Let me show you age. <laughs> For me, it was Purple Rain. So <laughs> yes, to show you how old I am. Like, I remember the yes. first time I saw Purple Rain, and first off, I was like, "Wait, this is what my mama said I couldn't watch." I really thought there was going to be way more to that. Than what it was. But yeah, it was like you're accessing grown information, you're accessing.
0: Exactly. And the freedom or the lack of freedom, I think in terms of like black women's sexuality and white women's sexuality, like to your point, I felt like if we, if black women, you know, I had a lot of cousins who got pregnant around age 15, 16, and we were super close growing up. And then as soon as like puberty hit, I was like, Oh, we're going in two completely different directions of life. Um, but like there's all, there was always this kind of notion of like, Oh, they were teen mothers. Their life is not going to, get any better. They're going to be on welfare, like, right? Those are the stigmas that are kind of placed on us. But I feel like for white women, it's kind of like, oh, if you get pregnant, we'll figure it out. We'll help you raise a child. We'll still get you into a great college. So like that level of freedom isn't what's afforded to us as black women if, if becoming a teenage mother and just like the cyclical nature of like you're a single parent and then your kid is going to be a single parent, right? Those are all things that I witnessed and grew up with. So I think that kind of perception of, oh, if I have sex or if I get pregnant, this is how my life is going to turn out, doesn't allow us the freedom to experiment and enjoy and have fun and take risks.
1: Right. And, and to potentially make mistakes. The other piece that you didn't say that I think is also true about what we see with, with, with young white white folks and white femmes in particular is this idea of like is um w- w- well yeah you mess up we can fix it meaning we can also get you an abortion if needed right when we yes. look at uh, abortion access and how that has played out over the years we find that even with the advancement of Roe v. Wade it still was more precarious for for women of color and black women to be able to have access to those services because of economics because of um, and to access it safely uh, I'm sorry safely because of economics, because of um, the various ways that those services were were offered, as well as um, the, the particular message that was given about what does it mean to be a Black girl who's pregnant, right? The idea that, oh, you know, it's expected. We knew that was going to happen to you. And so you just have to sit and deal with it. And then there becomes this pressure of like, oh, I'm going to be a parent and take care of my responsibilities when it's like. You know, but there's no understanding that that doesn't condemn you if you choose to terminate, if you if whatever you choose, that that should not be a death sentence or, or something to determine what should what your outcomes would be. And so, again, yeah, that even that discourse and access to choice is a part of of that freedom that white white folks have always been able to have that we. We we've consistently been denied, and we constantly have to fight for, and we constantly have to remind ourselves it's available to us in this day and age.
0: Oh, definitely, and I think two things. One, we have constructs such as like a religion. Let's be real; that plays such a large part in in a lot of Black communities. So, if the if you're going to Bible study Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, church Sunday, and they're saying don't get pregnant, it's a sin, or you know, you have to, if you do get pregnant, you can't abort, you have to have the child, then you feel really limited in your choices and unsupported. If you do decide to have an abortion, you feel like it's an abomination and you're bringing shame to your family and your church. And right. And then on the other hand, the barrier of let's be real emergency contraceptive is $50 a pop, which I mean, does everyone have that, you know, the means to pay that. And then also a lot of people don't even know that, uh, emergency contraceptive doesn't work after a certain weight limit. So if yep. we're facing with being larger size, with obesity, it doesn't, it's not even an effective means for you but a lot of us don't even have that sex sex education and to your point we when we spoke earlier about just eurocentric education models um i'm like this conversation we're just like going all over the place already and i love this because we're touching on so many points but um yes just to your point it's like we just don't even have the ability to make mistakes is what i'm trying to say more broadly
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely right like it and and um i i I'm even sitting with because I even as I said, the idea of grown folks business right in this grown folks space and thinking about what that means, even the idea of being able to imagine what your sexual possibilities could be or imagine what like even the process of being able to think about it. That's something that black folks have persistently been denied. And so um, I don't think that's something when I say grown folks, I don't think it necessarily has to be age related. Right. I think um, we recognize that our experience has put us in a situation that even even folks who are past 18 often end up stunted in their um their ability to think critically and think act proactively and and take ownership of their thought process because we're so used to being told from the outside no this is what your option is choose this that or the third or what we think is the case because I think what what's also true at the same time we have um, folks who are like. Uh, uh denying us information we also have folks on the other side who are like well you know what just get on a lark right just get on a long acting reversible contraceptive don't ask questions we know that that's the best for you and not thinking about well what if you know someone does want to have a child what if they are interested in child raising what do you know what do we need to do to be able to make that safe space and or I'm sorry to make that space safe and um that context productive for them right the whole point is it to me, that we talk about with grown folks is really about agency and how um, very little Black folks, and especially Black femmes, get access to that when it comes to their sexuality.
0: Yes, agency and autonomy, right? Because... Those two things are so important, and just knowing that you're allowed to ask questions—that whatever the doctor or nurse or gynecologist prescribes to you is not your only option ever, right? Like yep. you can always ask questions, and I think that's something you can that always say no. You can you always can say always. no, or you can always say I'm gonna take some time to think about it. But Absolutely. I think a lot of times we just feel like in that, you know, I've been, you know, we've all been in that waiting room or in the doc with the room with the doctor, and you feel just a little bit. <laughs> it's a little nerve wracking and, and intimidating.
1: Yeah. And that's historical, right? Like we recognize that that's exactly how uh, we were treated on the plantations, right? We were, we had these doctors, you know, something would happen to us and, and because they were interested in taking care of their property, they got medical service to help, uh, you know, help the product, uh, you know, be as, as uh, stable as it could be. And so it was like, let's give you the bare minimum. And, and what this doctor says you're going to do because you need to be the best product for my, my industry. and so right out the gate, we were learning and, and then teaching. You don't question the doctor. You don't question the authority because that the authority is meant to keep you alive without thinking about the fact that, no, the doc- they were meant to keep you alive for, for the production of this massive Right. Yes. Not necessarily for your own livelihood and not necessarily for your own, uh, thriving. You were meant to be kept alive in order for them to be fulfilled. And so once slavery ended in, in terms of, uh, the, the, the slavery as we knew it, we, you know, we won't even get into the prison industrial complex, but the original slave, once that ended, the question then became, okay, what is the doctor's role then now? If we have all of these people, um, that we've been using as products that we no longer need, Uh, and we are actually in many cases actively trying to get rid of what then becomes the doctor's role, you know? So I think that is where... You know, it's that legacy that has created the situation where, you know, we have doctors who will still believe things like, oh, Black women don't feel pain. Um, They still believe that, oh, yeah, just give these young girls a lark and that's going to be the best thing for their lives. Uh, You know, they believe all of these things without listening, without uh, giving the or um, providing space for that agency and autonomy that we're talking about.
0: Oh, definitely. And I, you know, we may not be back in, you know, slavery where their profit is off of our literal, you know, bodies, but everything, all the decisions, all of the systemic racism is still for, their profitable gain. Absolutely. And it, it, you know, so Absolutely. if they have to treat these patients because they want to receive the Medicare or the insurance payment, they're they're just doing whatever they need to do to say just to keep it moving, to keep it pushing and do what they need to do in order to collect their coin. And you know, my mom was a nurse for over 30 years and she worked in the NICU with premature babies. And I can't count the number of times she would come home and just say how much maltreatment she saw of white nurses and white doctors of how they treated Latinx and black families just how the disrespect and the lack of information and resources and time and just really did not didn't care about (laughs) care about them at all about their bodies about their well-being absolutely we i mean everybody's got stories i was just saying it this
1: morning um in response to the the recent administrative the uh, federal administration's move to deny trans folks um uh discriminate like I think it's related to medical discrimination like that idea that you can still be denied uh, medical treatment based on your 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 gender identity and and thinking about how um, once we get through you know defunding the police and figuring all that out, The medical profession and the medical field is one of those things that we are going to have to overhaul and redefine because there's too many folks who have stories now, especially black folks who have stories of being neglected to outright being um, actively harmed by medical professionals. And we can't continue to to turn a blind eye to that because people are literally dying in the same way that they are being murdered by the police. So. Um, definitely that's one of those conversations that we, we need to give more detail to and really, really push the boundaries on.
0: Absolutely. And I think the more that people understand that defunding the police means pouring more resources and more money into education, into, um, healthcare. Because I can quite frankly, honestly say that I probably haven't developed even a slight phobia over just going to the doctor. It's, it's quite, it's it's a, it's not a pleasant experience.
1: Right. Part of the, part of me being in this house now, like I've been quarantined now since March. Um, I've left, I've started to leave a couple of times for, um, healthcare things, but, um part of the reason isn't about necessarily being afraid of the virus more so than I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't, even now, as someone who is gainfully employed, who has at least some of the trappings, if you will, of middle class life or whatever in terms of that stability, um, who has what's supposed to be, you know, decent health care, I still don't trust that if I go into a facility now with any type of medical challenge, that they're going to have my best interest at heart, period. I've seen it too many times. I've experienced it too many times to know that I don't um, believe that my life will be seen as being worth of giving the, the best care. And so I don't think your phobia is unfounded. I think a lot of us have that phobia and I think it's, it's valid and it needs to be um, uh, factored in when we think about how we do better uh, within medical facilities.
0: Absolutely. I, whew, I, all of that. Pe- first of all, all of that, if you could see me, I'm over here just nodding and snapping my fingers and like, mm hmm, and all of it. I love that. Thank
1: you so much. I, I, I it's so challenging having these conversations because, you know, again, from, I'm, I'm part of the black church tradition. So I'm always into like call and response. And I'm like, I need to know that you're feeling me. Did you hear what yes, I saying? Yes, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> I receive that.
0: That's very helpful. Yes. Thank you so I much. feel you. And and I just, I, I hear you and I wanted you to get all of that out because it's so, so, so important. And it's, uh, you know, that is like an entire three hour podcast on itself, uh, in itself on, on healthcare. So I'm, I'm glad that we were able to touch a little bit on it. But I wanted to circle back because when we spoke on the phone last week, you know, one of the first things that you said that really stood out to me was how blackness is sexiness. And I think, you know, a lot of people were, were just now realizing that, especially given the current events um, particularly around Black women and Black trans women and Black trans lives, et cetera, that our blackness is sexy, is desirable, is a high commodity, to be completely honest. It is, you know, it is invaluable. And it is, um, there's, I, I honestly feel like there's an envy. And um, with that envy comes a rage as to why, like, some people really just cannot stand our existence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they mad, they mad. Well, I want to, so I want to, um, I want to say that I believe that it's cyclical. Right. So I, I think when you look at the history of especially of black American culture, I think you'll find that sexiness has been woven throughout of it throughout it, right? And I and when I say sexiness, I wanna recognize that it can include sex, but it doesn't have to. Right. So um uh my research Uh, looking at, I I, I developed a model called Black Sexual Epistemology and it was taken from interviews that I did with African-American identified folks who talked about what sexiness was to them and the vast majority of what they said didn't even wasn't even sexual intercourse, you know. People talked about things like having swagger and you know, uh, having body and you know, giving you know, giving that energy and being attracted and having that, uh, that erotic energy that Audre Lorde talks about, how that was sexy. And I think when you look at black American culture, and and I would even say, you know, if you look at black culture, period, you see that that is woven throughout, it literally makes us. So attractive. It's the reason why people want to be around us, why they're inspired by us. And I think going back to what you said about, um, I forgot the exact words you just said um, right before you said it turns into a hatred, but I think there is um, an inspiration. Uh, where I, I, I'm firm, like, there's actually an article from Ebony Magazine in the 1970s. Uh, Dr. Alvin Poussant wrote it called Blacks and the Sexual Revolution. And he was basically arguing that you wouldn't have a sexual revolution if it wasn't for us. And I think that is the case when you look at sex positivity, when you look at all the things that have kind of been advanced in the mainstream about sexy and sexual power, the vast majority of that is inspired by us. Like literally, when you look at the influencers, all of them came from us and they and they consistently use our culture as a means to um, exert that. A prime example, uh, uh, I, I I talk about Miley Cyrus because they're the most recent example of this. But I think if you look at white, po- uh, white pop culture stars over the last, you know, go back as far as Elvis, you recognize that. For them to be able to be those bombshells and those, you know, sex symbols and all of those things, at some point they interface with what was popular among black folks at the time. So, um, Right. And so uh, like like an example, it was just something simple on Facebook. I remember uh, a white one of my white colleagues posted something and they, you know, white colleague, they have mostly white friends, white followers. And they were like, you know, what song do you play to get into the mood when you want to get in the mood? Hands down, the vast majority of them were like genuine pony. And I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> right. Wow. wow. Yes. Wow. Right. Here, here we are. And this is something that, you know, even in our community, I think some of our internalized anti-blackness, we look at it and we'll say, oh, that's nasty. That's that's freaky. That's what you know. And it's like, but here it is inspiring a whole group of people to be their best sexual selves. And so how nasty is it really? How, uh, you know, savage is it really? Right. But, yes. Um, But I think, I mean, there's so many examples of this. Every single time I go into a Whole Foods, I kid you not, like, I I think maybe one out of 10 times it doesn't happen. I'll go into a Whole Foods and there'll be like some soul music. And I mean, like Wilson Pickett, like, uh, you know, Ray Charles playing on the music in the store. It's like, we are literally the soundtrack of their lives, right? Because you know that energy is part of our culture and so I think that to me is that's important and that's to be valued and to be cherished I don't think sex negativity was part of our heritage I think it's something that we've inherited that we've we've and I don't even think that it's actually something that we um, embody I think in a lot of ways our quote unquote sex negativity comes in direct reaction to white supremacy where it's about we you know we don't want to be what white people say we are and when I say sex negativity, that includes homophobia, that includes transphobia, that includes misogynoir because I believe those are hand in hand. When we look at historically what happened before the colonizer showed up, we recognize that people were much more comfortable and much more, you know, everything was much more fluid. Um, I recognize that those those pieces are direct response to white to, to colonialism and white supremacy and so when I say sex, sex negative, that's not native to us. I think sex positivity has always been an inherent part of who we are and part of our uh, accessing freedom is getting back to that and being able to to have that reclaim that fluidity and reclaim that ability to just be who we are fuck white people
0: <laughs> <laughs> a word a whole word and a whole mood fuck white people <laughs> right <laughs> so,
1: especially yes. because I mean imagine it's like like literally it's it's the same thing we say about hair and about where it's like when we do it, it's somehow disgusting and it's gross and it's obscene, but they do it half-assed and somehow it's amazing and it's inspirational and it's all these things. And Miley Cyrus gets to twerk on MTV Video boards and all this other bullshit when it's like, that is, that's whack that's whack
0: like that's whack exactly like if you want to see some twerking let's go to Trinidad Carnival and let's see the real ass shaking let's see the real you know because this watered down version is really doing no justice to our culture and meanwhile
1: as well some of us are losing it because we're so busy trying to conform to standards that were never supposed to be ours right so 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 we struggling because we can't twerk because we we to busy you know we learned how to keep our body still to be able to be acceptable to white folks right we we don't access pleasure in the ways that we want because we've been so busy denying ourselves that trying to be what white folks told us we were supposed to be and and what uh Folks in our communities who've had internalized whiteness, who've internalized respectability, told us we were supposed to be. And that's where we have to start asking the questions and doing the work of divesting, because it doesn't work. When we think about, again, that sexiness from the larger, that energetic, that erotic force that Audre Lorde talks about, it it doesn't work for us to continue to deny that, to continue to squash that. Like, it's literally killing us and, and, and being a part of our cultural demise, right? So- That's my thought on that.
0: No, listen, that was, okay, first of all, a sermon. Thank you for all of that. Because first, like there's so many great like beautiful points that you just made first of all starting when you were saying that sexiness is not just limited to actual sex but it is within us it's this innate expression that's in us and i spoke on this about pleasure it's like when i look at black people when i see the way that we laugh the way that we hug the way that we dance the way that we sing like it is so sexy the way we take up space, the way that we, even even our fictive
1: kinship, right? Like the fact that you can go somewhere and see somebody you've never met before and just lock eyes and be like, yo, what's up, right? Like that's, you know, like you can, um, like I love, like I love when we are loud, right? Like we we go places and it's like. I used to be in my in my old conditioning. I used to be uncomfortable if, to go out with my friends to a restaurant and be like, oh, we don't want to be too loud. We don't want to make it space. You know, we don't want to be put out. But there is jubilance that comes with black folks coming together. Right. Have you ever been to um, a graduation at a white school? <laughs> yes, I have. Nobody I have been. Quiet. Hy- Listen, nobody <laughs> hypes up graduating people more than black people, period. And the number of times I've been to PWI graduations with my black family for our individual black person and people were like, hey, can y'all cheer for my cousin? Can y'all cheer for my son? Can you, you know, because we have that energy. We it, It's a part of us and, and that vibrance. It's what keeps us literally alive and being able to survive all the bullshit that we go through. So... Like it it doesn't serve us to deny that. It doesn't serve us to run from it. In fact, it does the opposite effect.
0: Exactly. So, and like Issa yes. Rae said, she said, I'm rooting for everybody black. All and that's how black. I feel. That's how I'm like, we we don't, I don't gotta know you. I don't gotta know I, your family. Listen, but right? we when you walk across that stage at graduation, trust that you we all it here. we you all don't we know. You made it, we all made it. Exactly. We all made exactly. it. We know what you went through. <laughs> exactly. And then to your point about like these culture vultures and the white celebrities and pop stars and everyone, you know, when I see a white person with box braids or dreadlocks and fake. Nails. I'm just like you know. I really it takes everything. <laughs> nobody in me.
1: love like nobody loves black culture more. In the I mean, white folks in this country love. They don't love black culture more than when they find a white person who can do it half as well. Yeah, like that. That is when they really really like Justin Timberlake made a whole career off of being Usher. Like period, period, and got Timberland to back him up and doing it. Like period, period. Right? So like, indeed, it, it's, it's like white mediocrity has such a hold on the marketplace that
0: there's, we could do a whole other three hours. That's what I'm saying It's all of it because even just having Timbaland backing him is really Timbaland was the machine behind it. Like all the beats, all it's all black music because it came from a black producer. It has nothing Timbaland, to do with I am. Justin. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And he just you know? was willing
0: to take it on. And and
1: and, you know, on a on a what's the word? Uh, I guess on an ethereal level, like we can recognize that there are individual white people who have these natural moments. You know, they've grown up, you know, in in our culture and they, you know, they just have these natural connections. Yes, I think that is possible. And I also think when we understand sexuality as a commodity and we understand blackness as a commodity, we also recognize that. It, it pays to, to dip and dab and dabble in our community, right? It, it pays to have your moments, but not too much where you get too niggerish because mm-hmm. then, you know, you're not accessible anymore, but you do just enough to be quote unquote edgy and then you make your coin. And then as you, you know, as you evolve, right? You, you, you grow out of it, right? I think, um, I, and I said this on Facebook like years ago, but I still felt this way. I was like Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, um, all the little white pop girls. That's how they built. And then they had this moment of like, oh, well, I'm an adult now. And so it's time to take that off and grow up and, you know, maybe have kids and get married. And it's like, yes. Let
0: the blackness go.
1: Let's <laughs> go. Because and and what's ironic about it is like they never grab like I never see a white person being like Lettucey. Right? Being inspired by like Erica Erica Badu. Right? I, I never see white people do that. It's always what they perceive to be the raunchiest and the most risque and all of that. For, uh, that they lean on and say, "Yes, I'm finding my new sexual power and blah blah blah." But you know, not you, bitch. You don't do it because that's gross. But I'll do
0: it. And then, but to me, you know, at this point, I'm like, "Well, goddamn!" It's the it must be the ultimate compliment because y'all trying real hard to be like us. It is, it is? But 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 then
1: again, it's not because again what we have exists far out of that. Like we don't need them in order to have what we have. What we need to do is to invest in ourselves and to lift up ourselves and, and recognize the gift that we have. Right. It shouldn't be that like, I I think Megan Thee Stallion has a lot of success. I think she needs to be bigger. Right. I think we like, often what happens is when we do things it's, Oh, of course you can do that. When it's like, no, we should be bigging that up. We should be giving that props. We should be elevating. Like I think about, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not that much into contemporary hip hop now because again, I'm auntie age. And so my era was the nineties with Look Him, and, and uh Foxy Brown. But, but that said, I mean, while we have Megan, we also have Cash Doll. We also have, you know, all of these other rappers who get no props because they, they, they do themselves in a way that the marketplace it doesn't care. But let Cash Doll have been some white girl, you know, and I love Eminem, but let, let Cash Doll have been a white girl from, from Michigan, from Detroit. She'd have a bigger platform, period. Oh, absolutely, right? like just period. just the reason why Iggy, Iggy Azalea was able to succeed as far as she did. She literally, she has a song on her last album, that pisses me off so much because it's such a good song that I'm like, the only reason this song is good is because it literally has songs. It has stuff in it that I used to say that we used to say when we were girls, like black girls, said, like it has actual pieces from our culture. But that's what you can do when you you know, you you're marketable, you you when you're a white face and you're able to do black things in a way that
0: um, it makes you seem edgy. Exactly. But let's you know, but when you get behind the lyrics to your point, it's it's probably a black woman, black man who's writing all of the lyrics and then they just get to use it to their benefit. Now you're getting now you're getting spicy because it's usually
1: it's usually a black woman who's laid the framework and then it's a black man that's hyped her up
0: but we're not ready to talk about we i mean let's let's i mean because you know on social media i've seen a lot of posts with black men saying we gonna start showing up for you black women and i'm just waiting i'm waiting. and i'm waiting for it to happen it's like well what does that look like brother because
1: i i i, I think i i love i'm i'm very i won't say i love this time that we're in but i'm grateful for this time that we're in because i think it's calling all of us all of us to the carpet about the ways we use our respective privileges to perpetuate harm uh, for the folks that we marginalize. And so I think that includes white people with regard to folks of color and black people, especially, uh, non-Black folks of color and their relationship to Black folks. I think that also includes um, men and re- as it relates to women uh, and cis folks, as it relates to trans folks, you know, all of these different intersections. I think it's calling us to the carpet. And, and part of it is also requiring us to think, what are we willing to sacrifice so that we can get off the necks of the people that we are oppressing? And the reality is that, especially in our community, I think Black men, there's a lot of black men who are not ready and are not willing to do the work of actually divesting. Right. Because I think liberation in our communities requires that they don't get to be the leaders that the movies make them out to be. Right. They don't get to be Denzel, the alpha male who's running and they've got all. because the reality is that they don't have all the solutions. They don't. And yet so many brothers are so drunk off of that white that that white image of masculinity, this idea of, oh, I'm the leader of my household, that they will literally... Uh cut off their nose, nose being uh, women and trans, you know, and and queer folks in our community to spite their face because they're so hung up on believing that that is the way forward when it's not. It's not gonna work for us to embody white supremacist models of family and uh, white supremacist ideas of community and Eurocentric ideas of identity. It's not gonna work for us. It never has and it never will. And, and, And until they're willing to say, I don't have to have the power, I can share it with everyone in our community, we're going to continue to bump heads. We're going to continue to have these issues where, you know, you've got folks like, um, from um, I forgot the 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 young femme's name uh, who was murdered who was at the same time standing up on behalf of brothers and still wasn't respected enough to get the justice that she, you know to, to, to get safety and to, to be protected and to not be exploited we're going to continue to have that we're going to continue to have you know Dominique Fells and, and, and these other black trans women who consistently are being harmed by the men in our community and the women who the cis women who uh, still want essentialize their womanhood by being about what's between their legs, they're gonna to continue to experience that harm from them because we're not willing to recognize that there's a the the ways that we've embodied all these things and the ways that we perceive to move forward, it's not sustainable. It doesn't work.
0: It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I've been reading I'm um, you know I went back to Patricia Hill Collins um Black Sexual Politics and she talks a lot about how just In current day, trying to mimic, like you said, these white families that essentially were, you know, that we witnessed how they functioned when we were slaves and post-slavery coming into when we were migrating up north and we were going into segregation has really affected how black men view what a family what a household looks like and and a lot of you know that interpretation of what it should be has honestly kind of deterred some black men to commit or to recreate that kind of family unit and or stand up for black women
1: to attempt to force it and then to harm folks who don't want to fit into that. Right. So then we say, oh, well, you're unmarriageable when it's like, OK, I've got I'm educated. I have, you know, economic sense, I have, you know, whatever it is that we want to claim that we have. I'm uh, I have the desire to even be married, but somehow I'm not because I'm not marriage material because I don't want you to be the king or I have ideas. I happen to speak and I have ideas, you know, and I have the ability to do things better than you do in certain parts. Right. It's It's And, and to some degree, I, so at the same time I say all this, I get it, I get why it's difficult. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean the responsibility isn't there to divest. You have to. Or, or, like, I'm at this moment where I'm like, either we're going to divest or we're going to die. Like, literally, divest
0: or die. If we don't adapt, like, if we're not, if we don't adapt, we are going to die. Like, we have to. Quite frankly, COVID is getting us out of here anyway. Mother
1: Earth is like, I'll get all y'all the fuck out of here if you really want to. So are we going to work together or
0: not? Because it can't be this half- Thing that this half ass and that's another thing that um patricia she speaks about is really just how heterosexism and racism mutually can you know in- reinforce racism and oppression and i don't think for a lot of people and i've said it before i've said on another podcast if you're only supporting black love or this and that when it pertains to a black man and a black woman together married and have no no and only in monogamous relationship and looking xyz cookie cutter then you are really not progressing black sexual politics you are not you are not creating a safe space for all black lives and i just think you know until like you said until all of us particularly black men start doing that work then i just don't really know how we can find any unity and come together as a community if we're still even beyond like sexuality if we are still dividing ourselves based on classism colorism you know then like it got, we don't need the white people to divide us. We're, we're taking care of it ourselves.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, I mean, I, I heard, I, I got why you were saying beyond sexuality, but I think that is such an important point that we need to bring in because sexuality. So I, I get that because of all the other things that have been affected in terms of Black livelihood, we haven't had a lot of time to really think about sexuality and center sexuality as a part of Black community empowerment and, and Black freedom but i think it's important to understand that sexuality the ways in which we've coded black so- sexuality are inherent to the ways that black people were coded period right when you look at historical definitions of what it be- meant to be a black woman or a black man right um sexual depravity was inherent to that it was assumed that we were savages that we were in you know so i say that to say if if we're going to really be about black liberation we have to contend with sexuality if we if we're going to look at um Unpacking and divesting from the ways that anti-blackness has showed up in our community, we have to deal with sexuality as well because they go hand in hand. So that means we have to be willing to reimagine what, like you said about black love, we have to be able to reimagine what it means to be, to have pleasure in our communities, recognizing that pleasure can't just be in the relation, in the romantic relationships between men and women, right? We have to allow space for there to be queer platonic relationships for there to maybe be, you know, uh, polyamorous relationships, you know, being able to honor that as a a part of people's lived experience, to be able to recognize um, uh, intimacy among men, right? Uh, and an and intimacy among men, however they define. Right. So recognizing that that could look like gay men who are in relationship together, that could look like heterosexual men who are enjoying each other's company and recognizing that um, we don't have it doesn't all have to have a label and it doesn't have to have a a set of rules that comes with it. It's just it's about us being able to access what brings us joy, what brings us fulfillment.
0: Yes, and to not stifle or stunt not stifle that fulfillment, or police
1: it, or stunt it, or anything like that. Absolutely,
0: exactly. And I feel like we all we like. I check myself sometimes when I'm dating someone, and I I put all of these assumptions, and I put on put old baggage from past relationships, and I'm like, I have to check myself and literally say, Penda, men have feelings too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they have feelings. They have desires. They, listen, trust me. I, I'm with you because sometimes you'd be like, "Well, fuck you," but. But no, it's like it's like and 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 so so I think this gets into a question around um, what does it take, and I think it's important to recognize as people who um, appear to get it right, like femme folks. Even we have to do our own unlearning, and we have to and we have to pay attention to when we have those moments of like, oh shoot, right? Like a prime example of this is uh, men who identify as bisexual. Right. Yes. We know that this that that sexual sexual fluidity is a normative thing. And we can say all day that, you know, all black lives matter and that, um, you know, um, get men can be gay and that's okay. But if we are not allowing space for the men in our lives to express things that have been coded as queer or as gay and allow that safe space then we are adding to the problem. Right. Um, I I, I remember uh, again, this was on Facebook a while ago. I had a friend who asked, you know, what would you do if your man asked for this, that and the third and the vitriol that I saw from women? It was like it, that was where it was like, no, see, we are part of the problem and we want to say, oh, well, you know, this download, which is bullshit. And that's a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, this idea of, oh, well, you you you're hiding. You see you need to tell me the truth. It's like, how can people tell you the truth if they don't have a safe space to do that? Yes, exactly. We have to exactly. check ourselves to be able to say, OK maybe there's something in here I need to unlearn and relearn. What am I holding on to that doesn't serve me or doesn't serve this person that I say I love or doesn't serve my community um, in terms of our long-term health outcomes? All of that, it requires all of us to do that work of constantly checking in with ourselves and seeing how we perpetuate harm and how we can do better with each other.
0: Absolutely. And I, I don't know if you've read Adrian Marie Brown's book, um, Pleasure Activism, The Politics am, of it, Pleasure. I,
1: I haven't gotten full through it, but I've gotten yes. through a few chapters and it's already blown.
0: Yes. Yes. Same. But you know, when she talks about like, what if we, what would our lives look like if we live life from a place of orgasmic? Yes. I think about that and the ways that we've particularly stifled the sexuality of black men in terms of fluidity is I just imagine if they don't even feel safe about speaking up about their sexuality or acting on their sexuality, imagine just how much creativity, how much joy, how much energy is stunted and living within them because they're not able to freely just like, like... <laughs> Like just be exuberant and to sigh and to release. Like I think about times when like I'm in the worst mood and I feel just my energy is low and I'm like, oh, like well, bitch, you just maybe just masturbate, and you'll you'll be good. Like have like release, like have that energy. But to think that some of our Black men, some of our Black trans, that they don't have the space to feel like they can release in that way, I could just it it pains me to think about everything that is stuck inside of them that has not had the ability to be free right
1: and i and 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 i mean there's so many layers to that right because i do think there's also the ways that um uh, brothers again going back to violence against queer folks that that has happened far too often a lot of that comes through the reaction of oh i access this now i'm ashamed right and being able to to have from a community that's like no there's nothing wrong with this there's nothing wrong with who you want to be with how you want to be right i was thinking of uh the video like like uh shout out to tank uh who has been championing queer sex for a minute now you yes know? <laughs> <And> when, <laughs> you know, he probably wouldn't say it that way but i think he is um offering that space because now I think we've gotten to a place and I think mass, I, 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 even though I feel um sympathy and empathy I also still feel like it's on you it's still your responsibility to do the work um yes. I think toxic masculinity has made it so that brothers can't even speculate about talking about a certain thing that could be cast as right like we I think we went from we went from back in the day where there was a little bit more freedom and a little bit more sensitivity to you know the 90s where it was like, uh, no, we just, we hard out here in these streets to the 2000s where we started seeing dumb stuff. Like, you know, again, the down low, we started seeing metrosexual, where it's like, okay, you can do it, but it's gotta be this, right? Like it's got, it can, it, to now where it's like, we're seeing things on Twitter where it's like, oh, well, if you wipe your ass, that means you gay. It's like, it's gotten so rigid to where, um, you know, brothers can't even speculate. And, th- and so it's like, I think it even has to just start with you know in your own mind can you be free? Can you just be can you start there? Cuz even in your own mind you are policing.
0: Yes. <laughs> You're policing yourself, right? Are you are you even allowing your thoughts a space and the desires to even formulate? Right. Can you start let's start there. Let's let's
1: have you in your own mind imagine and allow yourself to be with the idea of someone giving, you know, eating your groceries, right? Like <laughs> Yes. Can you can you imagine like can you give yourself that space in your own head to, ima- to imagine getting a hug from a brother, mm. right? To imagine crying with the brother, to, a, you know, that, start there. And then let's see where that goes from there. Because again, it's a critical time. And I think it's getting so, so, so much more difficult. And and I, I'm a firm believer that, we will not get, like, we cannot get to eliminating homophobia, transphobia, misogynoir, horophobia, all of these other ones that are related to sexuality without addressing erotophobia in black men. And so we, like, start, like, that's my, if, if there are any brothers listening to this, please start there and spread the word to your other brothers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> spread it please, far and, and wide. Thank you. And,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Literally spread it
0: far and (laughs) wide. Far and (laughs) wide. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, two things. One, like, do you think it's just, well, I mean, I feel like some of this behavior between Black men, like you said, it comes out of like protection also. And I think I was talking to this about someone else about, you know, how Black-on-Black black crime really doesn't even exist. It's not a thing. It's just crime. But a lot of it coming from just the need to survive. Like, these are the only, this is the only way that we can protect ourselves, that we can survive on the streets, is like, you know, it's just me against the world, that kind of mentality. And so I, I feel like that hardness has also created this kind of shell around just like being soft. And like you said, the toxic masculinity and passivity, those are all things that just like, traditionally, it's just, it doesn't, it's not something that warrants you as a strong person. So you just always are trying to become. You just want to be safe and not a a victim, not vulnerable in that way. Um, uh, uh,
1: uh, Joy DeGruy Leary talked about Dr. Leary. I love Dr. Leary. Joy DeGruy Leary talks about this in talking about post-traumatic slave syndrome. How, like all of this, all of the things that we have. All of the characteristics and the habits and behaviors that we have um, developed in response to this experiment that has happened with us are also protective, right? It's all about needing to, because it literally will cost your life, right? It cost Emmett Till um, his life. To potentially have spoken and smiled at a white woman, right? We know that she lied, but 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 how many other Emmett Tills were out there who lost their lives for showing softness, right? For showing anything other than stoic, hard. I'm just out here keeping my head down and staying focused. So yeah, we get that, right? We we recognize that um um uh parents and moms in particular have to be hard with their younger children because being out in public and being told well you know having your motherhood questioned because your 3-year-old chi- child is acting like a 3-year-old you know that is something that we know more often to happen to black mothers right being questioned about their their parenting being questioned about their ability to keep their children in line right so So everything that we've done and all of the harsh behaviors, they are, the intention has always been about safety. But again, we are starting to recognize in recent years that intention and impact aren't the same, right? And particularly now that we're becoming aware that there's not too much that we can do that won't catch hail, right? There's no, there's no suit that we can wear. There's no politeness that we can be. There's no level of perfection. We saw that even in our last president. Right? yes there's no perfection yes. that you can and we be. saw that
0: with amy cooper and the man yeah. i think christian cooper being a harvard grad awesome. bird watching it's like right. damn not, we can't we, we can be we can't even there's be jesus nothing. that doesn't save us exactly
1: right like like literally let's let's go there because i killed his ass too right <laughs> there's, there's nothing yes. you can be so in that way um what, what I think has to happen now is that we give up, like we give up that need to, to prove ourselves to whiteness because it's not possible. It's not possible to prove ourselves to be any virtue enough for whiteness. So we have to, so, so, so my thought is to go the opposite way, to lean into, to lean into ourselves to say you, like that is one thing that I appreciate the most about Generation Z. Um, because I think that is the one generation who's, who's really, really shown me what it means to be unapologetic. And I think I, you know, being a member of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a cusper. So I think, um, they call us zennials, uh, where, (laughs) but still I, I feel very much connected to Gen X. And I think we were the last generation that still kind of was under this idea of like, keep your head down, do good work, do everything they tell you to do. And that's how you get to quote unquote success. Right. You know, having gone through that, did everything that was told and still being able to see like, oh shit, there's still issues it's refreshing to see gen z be like no we're not doing that we're doing what we want to do and 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 don't get me don't get it twisted because i I, you know i definitely think gen z got some issues with it again a whole other podcast discussion but but i but i i'm inspired right i'm inspired to be like oh with this what we're doing oh and we all riding together we're gonna take those chains off okay let's go let's go because i think that that is what's going to sustain us being able to say no we resist this we create on our own terms we create sexual freedom on our own terms we create community and and bonding and love and queerness and and reinvigorate blackness on our own terms i think that that is where what's going to help us, what's going to save us, reconnecting to and reconnecting to our traditions, right? Reconnecting to the sexiness that the the inspirations that we got there in the sexual revolution, the inspirations that we get when we look at the the Harlem Renaissance, right? Like in all of the black sexiness that came from there. Um, That's how we can really we really have that foundation and blueprint for moving forward and really reclaiming that unapologeticness.
0: You, that this that point specifically has really reinvigorated me I just want to tell you like I feel like in some in so many ways I definitely show up in my sexiness I show up I show out I'm expressive in that way but in a lot of ways I shrink myself I don't show up in white spaces I don't show up in my work um and with white co-workers um, as my full self honestly I know this might sound strange but it's because I know that it the power is really beyond It's 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 almost like too powerful if that makes any sense i'm like i'm almost afraid to show you just how magical i am
1: and and i think it's a constant it's a constant process right you said something and you were talking about being 31 and how you're still dealing with it and i wanted to be like child listen i just turned 40 and i'm still dealing with it right it's a lifelong process um and particularly given that we still have to interface with people who embody the the old system right who still are invested in the old system and so yeah we still recognize that there there is a risk there's still a risk in a lot of ways of being out all over, right? Being out with our sexual selves in all spheres. So I'm not telling anybody that, you know, if they're working someplace where it's very clear, they have very clear dress rule, um, I'm sorry, dress codes, or they have very real uh, politics that will harm us for being who we are. I'm not saying going there and like, well, fuck y'all, I'm gonna do whatever. (laughs) Because we still live under capitalism, right? We still have to eat. We still have to, uh, you know, pay our bills. And yet- we still have home, you know, we have our homes, we have our relation, we have spaces outside of that. We've always had them as black folks. We have our closets. Well, listen, in this closet, I'm gonna be as free as I am, right? I'm in, in this space and, and maybe closet isn't the best word, but I think about um, just meant again, like in my own mind, I should be able to be free. Be as free as I want to, and imagine as much as I want to, and and as this transformation is taking place in our world, be free to imagine. Well, shit, what do I want to do after they burn everything down? What if 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 I could start all over again? What life do I want? Right, I, because I think that's one thing I've um when I was doing my research, I asked people to think about Black sexual utopia, right? That's that's what I am thinking about because I um what we have seen is that the current model is falling. Everything that we know, it's falling apart. And so for me, what keeps me inspired, what keeps me going is thinking about what am I going to do after this? Because I because I'm black, so I know I'm going to survive. What do I want to want of what? I'll, well, I should say, I know I have the capacity to survive mm-hmm. because I know who I come from. Um, and so should I survive? What do I want to ha- t- my life to be on that other side? That's what keeps me going on a regular basis is really trying to imagine what I want my life to be, what I want my freedom to be, what I want my community to be. And I think that is how the work happens where it's like, okay, you know what? Because I know that that freedom, that future is coming, I could put up with your bullshit today. I could put up with your passive aggressive emails today. I could put up with, you know, like I could deal with that today because this is nothing compared to what's over there on that on that other side of this mess for me.
0: Exactly. I can put up with it for today, but not forever.
1: Yeah. And I will put it up with forever. And when the time comes, we'll, and and like, we know how to take care of ourselves. When the time comes, you make that move, you turn, you know, you, you burn that bridge and you move on until then you do what you got to do.
0: Exactly. Uh, And I hope, uh, you know, that black sexual utopia is just something that like, that's why I appreciate your work. And just because I think all of us, all black people, have the the capacity to achieve it have the capacity mm-hmm. to know joy and to know pleasure in that way but we just have to like you said it's all starts in the mind and it starts mm-hmm. with the possibility and it starts with letting go of fear I yeah. even hear some of my mom's advice to this day she'll she'll give me advice on something and it's really discouraging and I and I think about it for a minute I'm like wow that that wasn't you know the the support the positivity the support that I that I needed and then yeah. to, the next day she'll text me she'll call me and she'll say Say, I'm so sorry. That response was out of my own fear. Um, you know, I think it's a great idea. It's a great decision. You should go for it. Why not? And mm-hmm. like, even just hearing her say that, like, I'm like, wow, she's come a long way as, you know, almost, she's almost 70 years old. And yeah. I can only imagine how, like you said, when they were growing up, it was literally just keep her head down, work hard. And the same with my immigrant father coming to America. You don't, you just shut up. You do mm-hmm. what the white people say. You right. get, you work your job. And, you know, my dad was an accountant, mom, a nurse, right? Two jobs mm-hmm. that were stable, were upper middle class. You you don't, you don't question much
1: of <laughs> yep. yep yep and 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 that's i think what you would the experience you have with your mom i think those are the things that um us and younger generations should hold on to right like i i i get that we struggle with the boomers right we have this anxiety and we have this like ah uh, you know but i think especially when it comes to black boomers i think we owe them the at least the mindfulness of what they're going through i'm not saying forgive them i'm not saying uh you have to value what they say over what you know to be true for yourself, but respect what they've gone through. Like, yes. period. Like I think, <laughs> like folks say shit now where they're like, I'm not my ancestors. you goddamn right you're not your ancestors because you don't have the range. You don't have the strength to do what they did, right? But what, and, but what is also true that I think is important for us to consider and sit with is how how we also teach them through our lived example. Right. Like I, I've gone further with the exception of my aunt who also has her PhD. I've gone further than anybody in my family academically. Right. I have the, the space in my life where, um, where financially I can do things that my mother still can't do. And just being able to live that out, like I don't have to preach at her. I don't have to teach her, you know, well, what is intersectionality and define it and spell it and blah, 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 blah. All I have to do is show her it didn't cost me to take this route. It doesn't cost me to ask these questions that allows her that space to be able to say, oh, okay, I can start to question stuff too, right? My My mom is heavily in the church. That didn't stop her from being like, so listen, I'm hearing this guy say that Black Lives Matter is we shouldn't be listening to it because it, it values uh, trans people. What do you think about that? And that space to be like, so listen, dude is wrong. And let me give you all the reasons why and have her be like, OK, OK, because I've shown her through my life that I am a voice worth listening to. That my life like I, I showed her that you can you don't have to hang on to those old ideas in order to be successful and to be happy in this life. My happiness, my joy, my quote unquote success in that way shows her what's possible, literally gives her that example. And I think as the younger generation, we have to live that out. we That's how we help them open up as well. And recognizing not all of them will. There will still be boomers who are like, I'm just gonna hold on to this and this is gonna be what it is. Yes. But also there will be others who will, who we can show like, okay, those, the kids going to be all right. The kids are all right.
0: Yes. Like you, like to your point, we are the living examples, right? We are, we are a product of their hardship, like, like every generation before. So I agree with you. We have to at least give them the respect because we don't know, you know, my mom, you know, the stories that she told me about the whippings and the beatings that she got and, the racism that she had to endure. And, you know, my family is, is such a melting pot because I, my sister is half white. So there's like, there's, there's stories there. There's, there's secrets. There's so many secrets all embedded in, you know?
1: Other thing, that's the other thing that I think, um, I appreciate you asking me the question about did I do that work? Because what I also, the DNA test, because what I also have done is started to look at my family tree. And I started I went through ancestry and started to look at, you know, the records and see if I could start to build up my family tree. When you start looking at that and you start seeing the birth uh, certificates and the death certificates and finding out like. The number of women in my family who had miscarriages from, you know, not not because they didn't give birth, but the, the child died of like malnutrition and shit like that. When it's like, no, our folks went through something and, and it's like that. It, it, and it wasn't just slavery either. And it wasn't just, oh, this is a hard time that you literally like um, I think it was I think it's W.E.B. Du Bois. I can't remember. But they 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 asked that question. How does it feel to be a problem? It's like though that those were the folks who lived through being the perpetual problem in this country, right? And and literally people saying, "You know what? We we can't enslave them anymore, so we don't need them, we got to get rid of them." So like
0: yeah, that, just thrown that, away.
1: Just, just right? thrown, and, and, thrown and away. And we still, and, and we can argue that that's still happening today. We know that they're still trying to figure out how to get rid of us. Yes, but but the, but there were way more people who were like, "How do we get rid of them? Like, how, we don't need them anymore. We can't send them all back. They don't want to go. So how do we get rid of them?" And so I think um, we, a modern have day to, genocide, yes, that we're living in, we have to know. We have to know who are our people. What did they go through so we could appreciate that. And stop trying to act as if um, they're not part of us. That they that they don't deserve to be honored, to be valued, to be their names to be spoken. Right? We talk about say, our name, say your ancestors' names, Speak their names. Yes. Yes. You know. That's so, it.
0: Um, they deserve. So, they deserve that. And even when I it. am doing like my my meditation practice and my chanting, I'm all there's a part in my practice where you. Call out the names of your ancestors who have who are deceased, and it's such. It's all every time and time again. It's always such a powerful moment saying those names out loud because those are our protectors. Those are the people. The, they're the reason that we're here, and we we forget. It's easy to forget it. There's so many distractions, and if anything, like you said, we don't want to. We don't want to say we're thankful for this time or whatever that means. But I am certainly grateful for the space and for the silence to really reflect back and be like. Who are you? Why are you this way? How did you get here? That's what this time is. Yeah. Who did you come from and what is your purpose? What what is your purpose?
1: Yeah. Like like I. There there are stories that we won't even know because it has hurt them so bad. But when we are willing to call their names, that not only heals us because it reminds us who we came from and what they endured, but it also heals them because it lets them know that their lives were not in vain. So we have to do that work. We have to honor, and and this goes back to the earlier question that uh, you raised, and the thing that we talked about about kind of moving away from like, oh, you know, we came from kings and queens. Yeah, at some point, maybe we did, but I also came from these regular Negroes, <laughs> you know, who who survived, uh, you know, sharecropping and you know, like literal hatred of be- you know communities and people who hated them and were cruel and treated them cruelly. I came from those people. And so I'm going to own their anger and I'm going to own their right to heal. And I'm going to be an example for them of, of healing that lineage, of being able to say no, no, no. Not, not not on my watch it stops today we are going to have joy we're going to have pleasure we're going to have fertility and fruitfulness and all of the things that 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 they didn't get to have um so for me that that's so important that is so important to me
0: i i i love that we are going to have the things that they did not have and more and that then our children and the people that come after us will have even more yeah. and i think you know, that, oh, I'm like getting chills right now because we forget, we really do forget. And we get preoccupied with just trying to do me. I'm trying to get this coin. I'm trying to get this bag. But it's like, no, this, this space is only created for you by people who came before you.
1: Right. We stand on the shoulders of giants and, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. As much as I say shit about the church, like, that, that scripture, to whom much is given, much is required. You've been given a lot to be born in this time. So
0: don't forget who you can. Don't forget. I mean, to even just be a, like, like, you know, I... We all say this just to simply be black and alive right now is a gift. It's a gift. So we have, we cannot take it for granted. And we have to just step into the power, step into the joy, start with our minds, create the freedom, create the space to think bigger, to know that we can feel good. There's, I feel like we touched on so many gems today in <laughs> this conference. I'm like, we could go on for three know, more hours. This. I love this. And I'm like, I know you got to go. We got to go. <laughs> we'll, we, we, we might have to do like a part two or like circle back on some of these topics because I think it's so important and we got so much in in this in this time but I just want to say thank you because I felt so much comfort in in everything that I said this evening I felt like you were there to support it, you were there to uplift it, you could relate, and that is amazing because, like you said, we've never met. You don't know me from you know <laughs> Joe on the street, but what here you, we are. But what did we and,
1: say? I saw you on the Instagram, and I was like, yes, oh, I know you, I see you, yes, I see exactly. You. Yes. And
0: like, look at this beautiful connection that just manifested. So, Indeed. I appreciate you, and I love this conversation. And I think it, you know, it just it unfolded in such a natural and, and important way. So I want to thank you so much for being on this show. Thank
1: you. I'm so excited to talk to you and uh, everything you're saying right back at you. It resonates for me as well
0: lovely um well i want to end off with just saying if you want to you know let people know where they can find your work if you have a website social media all of that stuff i'll also drop it into the show notes so people can find you easily but if there's anything that you want to leave us with a word a website anything like that
1: yes um so i can be found all things tembi anaya um at some point that's actually i'm i i I feel the call to change my name i haven't done it yet but that's that's going to happen. And so all of it can be found at Tembi Anaya. It is um, T as in table, H as in Harry, E M as in Mary, B as in baby, I, A N as in Nancy, A I Y A. So that's Tembi Anaya, all one word. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Um, and on Twitter, although I'm not on Twitter much these days, just because my sanity won't allow it. Um, <laughs> but you can definitely most of the time these days I'm on Instagram. Um, and again, I'm on Facebook as well. So any of those. Um, I also my website you can learn about um the professional work that I do is tembianaya.com.
0: Wonderful. And thank you to all of the ProHo listeners for tuning in. Be sure to Like, subscribe, follow, share this episode because it is important and everyone needs to hear it. And thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. So peace out.